0: Welcome to the Unlocking Unlimited Potential Stories podcast. My name is Dr. Brandon Beck, and I am so excited for you to be here to join us today. The goal of this show is to amplify the stories of amazing people, which serve as inspiration for your journey. Your story matters. It tells us who you are and who you want to be. Enjoy this opportunity to hear from these innovative thought leaders as they discuss what it means to unlock unlimited potential. If you are looking for an opportunity to connect further with me after this show, please visit BrandonBeckEDU.com to learn more about my speaking, coaching, consulting, and other offerings that are designed to help you and your organization find greater results in your journey. welcome to the unlocking unlimited potential stories show I'm so glad to have you all here with me today we are going to talk deep about knowledge depth of knowledge that is and we have what I believe to be the expert on all of that at because I've seen him do t- talk about it I've seen him go through his whole thing he's an amazing guy ladies and gentlemen we have eric Francis in the house eric how are you doing man?
1: Great, Brandon. Thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Glad we're doing this. How long have we been talking about this?
0: We've been talking about it since October. So yes. I'm not sure when this show is exactly airing. So this is probably at least five or six months. But yeah, so it's been we a are while. here. We are Glad here. I had actually I had the chance to see you. Another Teach Better conference connection. I uh, had a the chance to see you there and was really blown away by your session and the idea of depth of knowledge. Talking about yourself, you know this this journey for you. And you started as a teacher for about ten years, then moved to state education of in, in Arizona, mm-hmm. and then from there you took the leap in 2012. Yeah. Took the leap, became a professional education spe- specialist. Some of you may call that an edupreneur. Some of that <laughs> may, some of you may call that an entrepreneur. Whatever you want to call it, he took the leap and he has been running for about 11 years now and mm-hmm. he has been running on his own flying solo flying solo maverick edu that's know, right that's, that's maverick it. So edu one two here he is so god we got we got to dive into that i mean so many people that come on to this show have taken that leap mm-hmm. and it's always so interesting to talk about kind of like the before and after of The Leap, since we can do that here with you, because you've been doing this now for a while. So let's just kind of dive right in. Talk a little bit about your your story into education and into this place where you are right
1: now. Well, this is actually, education was a second career. I was originally uh, wanted to work in the film industry, and I did. Um, I worked as an assistant for a producer. I had my first master's degree in film and television production from Syracuse University. Went to Newhouse, and, uh, you know, after a couple of years, I, I really didn't like working in the film industry and uh, thought about what it is I wanted to do. I was like 25 years old. So it's like career change. And I enjoyed working with kids. I worked as a camp counselor when I was a, a young man and um, I thought about being a teacher. So I became a teacher, uh, taught middle school first and then went to high school and uh, did some time in administration and. Um, it was a short time because I wanted to be an instructional leader and I, and disappointingly, I felt like I was anything but an instructional leader. I felt like I was putting out fires. I was a politician. I was a cop without a badge. You know, I was using my grandfather's NYPD interrogation tactics to find out who skipped fourth hour, you know, or who uh, vandalized the bathroom. And um, then I went to the state department of education, in Arizona, and that's where I really learned about law and policy and, funding and uh I kind of found my groove which is kind of interesting because usually in departments of education it's not school it's government and it's bureaucracy and a lot of people go and disappear and I actually kind of shown I kind of like found my uh my groove uh being an instructional leader being a presenter that's why I did a lot and then 2012 I just made the leap. Um there wasn't a a dive it was a, a waiting in because I had an anchor job, I worked for a local uh, charter school organization out here in Arizona, and then in the spring, my my consultancy took off. So that's why I started doing it full time, and uh, I've been doing it. This is my 11th anniversary. Actually, we're doing this uh, January 31st, and I took that leap on February 1st, 2012. So this is my uh, 11th anniversary. Of the week we're recording this, it's your career birthday
0: exactly your, leap, your birthday
1: your leap birthday my my, my business birthday that's, that's <laughs> thing you know and it's kind of funny because i've now i'm starting to do this i've been doing this actually i'm doing this as long as i was in schools and classrooms um i really think the secret of it is that this was never a a, uh, a destination it, it wasn't even something that was an option or something what that something i fell into that 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 people started talking to me about that, that when I worked for the state, I want you to go private and be a consultant. And I didn't just start out doing professional development. I was helping them with their title one programs, their their uh, interventions for uh, literacy and math. And then I just started presenting at conferences and it just kind of came together. So it's kind of funny, Brandon, because now it's becoming like this career option. I mean, I compare it to like social media manager. Like 10 years ago, that was not a career. That was not an option. Now, it's like everybody is on this path, it seems like, to writing a book or being a education consultant, lack of a better word. And it's kind of interesting that this actually has now become an avenue, but it's, it's a tough gig. It's tough doing this. It, it is not easy. I mean, every day you're waking up unemployed. You know, and, and you have to have that mindset. You got to wake up. I mean, I think the thing that kind of kept me going is that I kept on saying, is this the morning I'm going to have to wake up and, and apply to drive for Uber or Lyft. And then I think, okay, so what can I do to make sure I can do this for another six months or another year? And um, it, it's tough. I mean, it, it's, it, it looks great because we're traveling everywhere. You see all of us who do this, like you do this, I do this. We're traveling everywhere. We're, we're, we're you know, presenting at conferences and, you know, we, we got the – but it, it's, it's it's work, you know. And I think that's one of the things I love about uh, Angela Duckworth's grit because even though grit's not really an appropriate term a lot of people are talking about lately, now it's resilience. But what she talks about is that, you know, you see Oprah and you see Michael Jordan – You don't see what it takes to be Oprah and Michael Jordan. You see the spectacle of it. You don't see the work behind it. And it's work. I mean, this is not vacation. This is not, it's also, I want people to know, this is not an answer. Like, this is not going to solve your problems. This is not, this is going to change your life. But this is not the solution. You know, the solution comes from within you, not outside of you.
0: Oof. So valuable that is pure gold. The solution is definitely inside of you and I totally agree with that. I think you know a lot of times anybody who's trying something new or has an idea, you are fighting back the imposter 100% of the time there is always you are your worst critic and there is nothing work worse then waking up in the morning and wondering, am I going to be booked? Am I going to have X amount of opportunities set up, X amount of events, X amount of workshops? There's something to be said about planning your way through it. And I think it goes to show that there is really, the work is, the hard work is rarely ever seen in that capacity. What we usually see is the end result. And I think that that is, really important to, to kind of share with everybody. I think it's important to, to tell everybody because obviously someone who's been doing this now for 11 years, you have a family yourself, you have mm-hmm. a, you know, you're, you're in Arizona and you are traveling into different places and it's, you know, that wear and tear as well. There's that wear and tear of, you know, being in, trying to be in all the different places at once. And, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, it's, Okay, now where's the next place that we're going to go? Where's the next place that is looking for me? You know, am I ready to jump out there? And am I ready to to really dive into something? And a lot of times, some people just stop too early.
1: Yeah. At the same time, you really got to figure out who you are when you do this. Um, you got to be true. You got to be real. Uh, you got to be genuine and and really know that what your place is and who you are but i think at the same time also you need to be very open and generous i mean i I am the first person who i mean my philosophy is this is that iron man and captain america are great as individual movies and individual characters but when the the avengers it's epic and i'm always looking to like want to collaborate with somebody want to work with somebody um And sometimes, you know, you get that rejection, like, you know, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I got my team or I got my crew or something like that. And it's tough. I mean, and and it's 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 it can be a rough road and you got to have a thick skin with it. Um, You can't buy your own press. That's the big thing. I mean, I still get rejected from conferences left and right. And I've been rejected by some of the biggest conferences. Um, You know, you get reviews where somebody doesn't like you for some reason, um, you know, and that's and like, like you were as a teacher, cause like as teachers, what we do, you know, we have 30 kids in a room, 29 love us that one doesn't. And we perseverate on that, you know, it's kind of like the same thing. And it's, it's, you know, you just gotta be real. You gotta be genuine. You gotta be honest. And I think the other thing is, is that you gotta be there and show that you're there to support. Um, but at the same time, this is this is hard stuff, and when you come in there to schools, it's it's hard, you know, because of the situation there. um You know that they want change; they're not sure how to make the change. They don't know how to afford the change sometimes, um, and, and sometimes the change is uncomfortable. And some schools are not willing to make that change, and some teachers are not willing to make that change. So there's a lot of things you encounter with that. It's it, and you have to be flexible. And and the thing is, this is that. You know, my philosophy is why do we differentiate instruction, but we don't differentiate professional development. So when I come in, it's not me coming in, swooping in, saying with this kind of Superman complex of here, I come to save the day. It's more of a problem solver, troubleshooter. Hey, what's going on here? Hey, you know, what, what, what's, what's happening here? What can I do as an outsider looking in? Because sometimes you do need that outsider looking in to solve the problems. And you need that honest perspective. Um, you know, having both of us had work in schools, there's things you can't say to your leaders because it's your job. So as sometimes as the outsider, as the, as the, uh, specialist called in, you can paint a, a good picture, but at the same time, you know, you have to sometimes be honest and say, you know what, this may not be what you want. This may not be the direction you're going in. I mean, I've had that where schools have called me in for depth of knowledge and, um, I say that's not the issue. You know, the issue is this. Um, I can help you with this, but DOK is not your issue. It's something else. And we may have to agree to disagree that this, I, there may be more than what I can do. And I usually, what I do is recommend somebody out. Or if someone's not willing to make that change, then, you know, you just got to say, okay, I'm always here. When you're ready to make the change, let me know.
0: Oh, that's so true. And there's so many things that I want to say about that. And I will go into a few of them. But I got to say, you know, there's always, you know, I, th- I feel like a lot of times, uh, many people come to, you know, to writing books, or to, pre- you know, bloggers, or, you know, creating content, or people that are out there speaking. I feel like sometimes that there is the perception that they have to go in and have all the answers. And I feel like that is one of the things that brings up that anxiety for a lot of people before they go to an event, before they go to a place where they're going to be speaking. Oh, this person, these people are paying me. I'm coming in to speak and they want me to speak about these things. And then again, here comes that imposter syndrome that comes diving back in and steals away your thunder. And basically you're sitting there saying, all right, well, you know, I feel like that's one of the things that a lot of people need to know is like, it's not like you're going in there. I think one of the biggest misperceptions is that you're going in there with all the answers.
1: Well, that's the Cause you, it's funny. You called me an expert in D okay. And I don't say I, I cringe when I hear that because my feeling about experts are we know it all. And then we're not learning. Brent, I'm always learning. I'm always like trying to figure out. I mean, I got a wall over there that I throw things at not literally, but figuratively. And sometimes it sticks like paint and sometimes it hits my fan. And I'm always trying to figure out how can I get this to where people understand it? And that's the thing. And I think the thing is we need to realize that we're not experts. No one is an expert, but we have expertise. And with expertise, you're always learning. The imposter syndrome that I know sometimes people feel, I used to feel it, but the thing is this, and, and there was a mantra, and I think it was Walter Payton who said, and then I heard Dwayne Johnson kind of paraphrase it, and I may not be saying the quote, but I heard someone, he said, show them how good you are and let them tell you how great you are. So you can believe you're good and you can believe in what you do is good. but at some, But you also got to realize that, hey – there there's gotta be some humility there. There's gotta be, you know, like, like, uh, you know, Dave Schmidt, his book, bold humility. I love that title. And that's the thing we need to have is bold humility. Um, it's funny. Cause when I present, I don't look at who I, it, you know, got, I didn't, I don't look at who I got through to. I look at that teacher who's been sitting there with the arms folded and looking at me, you know, like, who's this guy, ivory tower coming in, you know, Hey, I know how much they're paying this guy to bring in. And I, here I am, I'm making this salary. Who is this quote guru that's coming in? I'm looking at that person saying, I didn't get through to them. Why? You know, and that's like the way we were as teachers in the classroom. You look at that kid you didn't get through to. Why? What do you need to do? What do you need to differentiate? And I think the one and the best things that I learned, um, for my mom, actually, uh, she's, she looks at life glass half full. And she said to me, instead of getting like worked up, think about what that person is bringing into that room. And what, what, what are they coming in there with, you know, you may have do a conference, you may do a workshop, you may do a presentation. And that person who's sitting there and is just in a mood, uh, because they got stuff going on in their life, or, or the, or they got a speeding ticket on the way to your your conference your workshop or you might trigger something in them maybe you remind i mean i i say this all the time like man maybe i remind them of their their father or their 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 husband or their ex-husband or their ex-boyfriend and you just don't know what you trigger but at the same time i think we also need to look at that as our students like when our students behave a certain way to us what are we triggering in them you know, and, and it's not much different when a teacher's in PD than a student in class, because look, we're probably talking about something in PD that the teacher's maybe not interested in. They have to go and attend this professional development. You know, Peter DeWitt just did a great article in Education Week about that, about being forced to go to workshops or being forced to professional development, where you talk to someone who says, I don't know why I'm here. My district just sent me or my, my principal has to be here. But as a presenter, you got to look at like, what did you trigger In that person, you know, what do you, who do you remind them of? Maybe their father, their ex husband, their husband, their boyfriend, their ex boyfriend, someone that hurt them. Maybe they have issues with people like, you know, that you remind them of. What if that's also why our students are reacting the way they are? And they got a lot of stuff going on in their lives and you don't know what you're triggering in them. You might be that first male teacher to that student and they didn't grow up with a father. Okay, or their father left them. So now they're triggering that. Or you may be that that female teacher and maybe their mom abandoned them or maybe they have issues with their. That's just human dynamic. And I think that's, you know, when you're a professional development provider, you don't stop being a teacher. Your students are just older, you know, And, and the difference is, is that you can't do discipline in PD like you can in class. Like I can have a teacher who acts up and I can't give him the Dwayne Johnson cocked eyebrow. Like you'd with the kids. I can't even send him down to the principal, you know? And if you do that, so they so their true. arms up at you and goes like, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, but you have to still approach it. Like you're still a teacher. And that's kind of like what I look at my PDs. Like I look at the people who got it. That's awesome. They're ready for independent practice, but I got to do some intervention on that one who didn't get it. And, and I'll talk to the principal. I'll go, so what's the story over there? Tell me the story. And I think that's the thing is that don't just look at the person. Don't just respond to and react to the way they act. Find out their story. And, and that's actually something I'm doing in a keynote this uh, weekend um, in Idaho called uh, I call Escaping the Edgy Matrix, where I want us to start trying to find out what the story of our students are what's, you know, don't judge that book by its cover and don't just judge by the words on the page. Be like an English teacher and look for the underlying meaning. Look for the backstory. Look for the the theme, the central idea of it. What's the reason why they're acting that way?
0: Yeah, no, that is something that I talk about all the time when I work with educators, when I work with students, when I work with athletes. You know, I talk a lot about how your self-confidence is pretty much influenced by three things it's your story your why and your purpose mm-hmm. and those three things they interact in many different ways and many different c- capacities but they all influence each other and definitely. so definitely and so the power of the story man yes i i'm a big believer in that but and in talking about the power of the story one thing that you talk a lot about lately is depth of knowledge talk a little bit about your journey into that topic, how you landed in in that place. And it's something that you're clearly very passionate about and you've written books about. And, you know, I've had, like I said, I've seen you speak and and really it's incredible the way you break it down. And I know there's no way we're going to break down all your amazing things and the amount of time we have left, but I know, I know you are good at the cocktail version of this.
1: Depth of knowledge. Uh, thank you for the compliments. I really appreciate that. But um Depth of knowledge is a different and deeper way of looking at teaching learning. And I got into depth of knowledge and this concept and this framework. I was introduced to it, like many of us, with uh, the training on the Common Core standards, where they told us that the cognitive rigor of these standards are based upon the levels of thinking students demonstrate according to Bloom's taxonomy and the depth of knowledge students must understand and use according to Webb's DOK levels, Norman Webb. And I really thought it was fascinating because I always had a problem with verbs, um, with thinking verbs. How do you quantify? How do you see, analyze, evaluate, interpret? And when I'm creating, what exactly am I creating and how deeply am I creating this? And that's what depth of knowledge is supposed to define and clarify and confirm. And then they gave us this DOK wheel. And they said, DOK is about what comes after the verb. And I raised my hand and said, then why is this full of verbs as part of this wheel? And they said to me, they said, well, this is the tool for it. And I said, well, if you're telling me if it's about what comes after the verb, then why is this full of verbs? And they try to do like the Jedi mind trick. You know, these aren't the droids you're looking for. So we were all told that this wheel is what depth of knowledge is and that Norman Webb created it. And I really got fascinated with it. I'm like, something's not right. Something stinks here. So I delved deeper into it and I found out the story behind it. It's inaccurate. Norman Webb did not create the DOK wheel. Um, the story behind it is that I mean, you're in New York. Here's the here's the story behind it. When we all went Common Core, New York was behind a lot of the curriculum and the training behind it. Someone did a Google search, found that wheel on the internet, which was developed by designed by some teacher in Florida who uploaded it to the internet like before a teacher paid teachers. You know, boom, this is the OK. And they found this wheel and they said, oh. This must be true it came from florida florida was one of the first states to do their alignment studies with dok instead of blooms and they made that poster and they made a video that karen hess actually wrote the script for with cognitive rigor and karen Hess was a friend of mine she told me she goes you you made this video with the dok wheel you can't put that video out the dok wheel is inaccurate and new york state said too late so i knew this was 99 of the story and this summer I had the opportunity to present what exactly depth of knowledge is at, um, a keynote at confertute at UConn, Joe Renzulli's, and it was virtual. And I'm telling the story about New York and someone from the department of education, New York was on there and, and wrote me a note that said, I want you to know, New York realizes mistake. And we try to get Karen Hess has to go out into the field and correct it too late. What happens when you pour sand out of a bag, you're not going to get all the grains in. So for the last 10 years, We've been using this DOK wheel that is completely inaccurate. And it's everywhere, Brandon. You go online, you do a search for DOK, you'll see that wheel. It's on state departments. Why would anyone doubt it? It mis-cites um, Norman Webb as the creator, and he didn't create it. In fact, he refutes it. So, it's, so the message has been for the last 10 years, the DOK wheel is inaccurate. But now I'm trying to shift that message to say, Okay, you know what? It's inaccurate. We need to move forward. And what I'm trying to look at now is like looking at standards and and learning expectations and intentions, objectives, and saying, are we really teaching and testing to that part of the standard that the kids really need to know and understand and demonstrate proficiency? So what I say now is that a standard has three parts. Let's say you have cognition, content, context. Cognition is the thinking. That's the skill. content is the what you what the topic is you're learning I call that the stuff. in fact nation at risk calls curriculum the very stuff of education so I'll call it the stuff but it's the context. what exactly and how deeply must students understand and use their learning That's really what deri- what, what sets the criteria for proficiency. So a lot of the work I've been doing now is really trying to help people understand, where we're coming from and why, how we've come to be what it is. So I'm actually doing a presentation. I know I'm not giving the elevator speech. We're going to the penthouse. But I'm actually telling people like this to say, let's look at what we must learn and why. And if you grew up in the 80s, your teachers taught you content, stuff. You know, we like to think those of us who grew up in the 80s, like our teachers challenged us and made us think the good ones did. But the truth is, our teachers taught us stuff. And we had to memorize the stuff and we had to show we learned the stuff. And if we show we learned the stuff the way the teacher taught us, not only did we get an A in achievement, but we got an A in conduct. OK, it's not that, oh, we were determining themes of stories. No, our teachers told us what the theme was. And when we got the test, what's the theme of the story? We better say what the teacher taught us. So when we got into the knowledge age and the computers came out and the computers told us all the stuff. That's when teaching shifted to thinking and that's when standards-based learning happened. So now it's not about learning stuff. Now it's about learning skills, knowledge, comprehension, application, analysis, synthesis, evaluation. What's your Bloom's verb? Teaching colleges are still focusing on this. And it actually brought out the argument of should kids learn skills or should kids learn stuff? That's where core knowledge came from. Edie Hirsch. These kids are thinking, but they don't know their stuff. The question is, They know how to multiply, but they don't know their multiplication tables or their multiplication facts, which one's important in there. Then you got no child left behind, which says, okay, let's now make it about assessment for accountability and let's assess whether the kids can think about the stuff. And that's why we had the old, the method, you circle your verbs, you underline your nouns. I know what my thinking is. I know what my stuff is. I'm good to go. But this whole thing about cognitive rigor, depth of knowledge, it's not just about what are you thinking, and it's not about what's the stuff you're learning. It's what exactly and how deeply do I have to think about or understand and use the content to demonstrate proficiency or perform successfully. So if I give you a standard, um, determine the central idea and theme of a t- of a, uh, from details in a t- of a story from details in a text the verb determine that's my thinking theme is my stuff story is my stuff okay details is my stuff text is my stuff so what exactly am i determining the theme how deeply from of a story one story from details in the text that's the stipulation because if i said determine the theme of two texts written by the same author or within the same genre or an informational text and a literary text that addresses the same subject from details in the text. Now it's cognitively demanding. That's D-O-K. So the secret I tell people is this, still do the Ainsworth method, circle your verbs, underline your nouns. But then I want you to take a highlighter and I want you to highlight every word that comes after that first verb to either the end mark or a punctuation point that will tell you what exactly and how deeply students must understand and use their learning. I think everybody's
0: minds are, are blown <laughs> right now. And I feel terrible for jamming that into the last couple minutes of this show, Those but you have this in a book. So tell us a little bit about the book that all of this is in, because this is, I, I didn't, have to agree with with everything you're saying because as i listened and watched you speak i was blown away and Thank you know you. as complicated as the wording and things may sound it's very simply laid out in images mm-hmm. and and great features and what i love about it too is it's 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 hitting every kid in every place where they're available to kind of keep going and they're the highest expectations possible for everyone regarding based on where they currently are, which I think is amazing. So talk a little bit about your book.
1: Well, my book's called Deconstructing Depth of Knowledge, A Method of Model for Deeper Teaching and Learning. It's published by Solution Trade. Um, this has been a, um, a passion project of mine because I've been wanting to write this book. In fact, if you asked me what you do during the pandemic when everyone got torpedoed with their professional development, I wrote this book. And so in the book, it talks about how depth of knowledge can be used as a multi-tiered system of support for planning and providing teaching experiences that are not only standards based, but socially, emotionally supportive and student responsive. So in the book, I talk about how you deconstruct standards for depth of knowledge. I talk about how it's a shift in that we're not looking at the thinking. We're not looking at the content. We're looking at the context. What exactly, how deeply Um, I talk about how, It can supplement and support your PLCs. If you do the four questions from the DeFours with PLC, what do we want students to learn? That's the DOK level of the standard. How do we know that they're learning it? We assess to the DOK level of the standard. What if they don't learn it? We tier it to the DOK level where students are and build upon their strengths so they can rise to reach and go beyond that DOK bar set by the standard. What do we do once they've learned it? You go to the next DOK level. So that's how it supports PLC. I also turned it into an RTI because what I tell people is the delivery and intensity of your instruction is going to depend upon two things, the demand of your standards and the strength of your students. And what you do is you start with the standard like a finish line. And you say, this is what you need to demonstrate proficiency or perform successfully. Can you do this? No. Can you do this? No. Can you do this? Yeah. Okay, good. Let's start there and you build upon it. It turns DOK into a strength finder. So it's a different and deeper way of looking at how you uh, unwrap and unpack your standards, so I call it deconstructing, and also how you develop and deliver your teaching and learning. And I say everything that teaching and testing for depth of knowledge stops and starts and stops with the standard, but teaching and learning for depth of knowledge begins at the DOK level where students are but build upon their strengths so they can rise to reach and go beyond the DOK bar. That follows um, a lot of the Austin Bufferman and Mike Mattos RTI model that's inverted, where I'm not identifying for services. I'm addressing the needs of the kids, and no child is stuck at a tier one, tier two, or tier three. It's fluid. Our goal is to get all kids to rise to reach and go beyond the standard, or get them to through and beyond the standard. So that's what the book's pretty much about.
0: I love that. No, that is absolutely awesome. And it's amazing to see that like you finally put all of this into a book because it is so important to spell this out. And it's so important to take all of this knowledge. And we were talking about this a bit on the pre-show. We were talking about how the work is backed up. It's not just use, you, you know, shooting from your pocket. It's it's Deeply researched, it's deeply credited, it's deeply worked. And I feel like that's important in this industry that you are presenting something out there that's really something that schools can take and run with and something that's easy for teachers to adapt tomorrow. And I think that that's completely critical.
1: And it's going to take time. I mean, it's a mind shift. I mean, I like to say that complex expectations and outcomes can't be digitized. You know, everyone right now is very scared of Chat GPT um this ai and what i tell people is well the ai now has moved to a DOK 2 because it can explain the answer because the DOK one you can attain to assert the answer like if i talk to um my my ai on my watch my my siri or my alexa over there i'm trying to make sure she doesn't turn on or my google if you ask it a question or you tell it to do something it's just gonna say here's what i found on the internet chat gpt is explaining it to you that's a DOK 2 so instead of us making the same mistake we made with google like googling's bad kids need to know we need to basically say okay the technology has now advanced us and pushed us to challenge the kids further you want to do a dlk3 give the kids the answer doesn't have to be correct and tell them to justify why it's correct or incorrect or ask what if that's a DOK 3 dlk4 let them go and make connections and extend their knowledge beyond the curriculum beyond the classroom That's why I say people like, oh, I'm afraid of this chat GPT. The kids are going to cheat. Yeah, they're going to cheat. They've been cheating back since we had abacuses. Okay. But now we have to up our game because chat GPT can explain an answer, but it can't justify and it can't extend. So if you want to talk about DOK and how that can basically help you with the AI, how it's advancing, it can't rationalize or reason their responses And it can't make extended responses. I'll be afraid of the AI in the chat GPT when it becomes HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey or Skynet. And it makes a logical conclusion where it says, okay, lying is bad ethically. I can't lie, but I have to lie to the humans. That's what HAL 9000 did. So what will I do so I don't lie? Well, I'll kill the humans. Okay, I'll be scared when it can do that. Or when Skynet says I need to prevent... You know the humans from destroying each other, so how do I prevent the humans from destroying each other? I'll just destroy the humans, you know. That's that's from the Terminator. So I think people are making much ado about nothing, and I think what it's doing now is that it's upping everyone's game, and everyone's game can be upped. And so that's that's kind of my two cents about the whole thing with technology and DOK and Chat GPT and all that.
0: That is it, sounds like another book. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Manda Fox is tri- from uh, Canva Classroom is really trying to get me to do something like that. But that's more like, I think, more like an interview like this than a book because, you know, you really the secret about your books, you want to make them timeless. Yeah. Um, you don't want it to where you go into half price books, you see it in the dollar bin because people are not, you know, that that's unfortunately what you're seeing a lot of the book about the pandemic books now. They're starting to go into the dollar bins. You want to make it where it's timeless. You want to make it where you know, it, it's something that can last. And, and I think that's also the strength of writing a book is that make sure that what you're doing is, is not temporary, but it, it's, it's transformational. It's, it, it it's lasting. I mean, I wrote my first book. Now that's a good question back in 2016 and it's still doing well, which I'm pleased. It was a snapshot of my thoughts at that time, but you know, that's the thing. I think that's also the secret of success too. Like your book. I mean, you know, I can read your book at any time, at any point in my life or any point in my education career and take something from it. That's the secret of it. Don't don't just jump on the fads. Don't just jump onto what's hot. Look at what's needed and what you can do to contribute to the profession. And that's when I, I talk to people like I want to write a book. I said, but everyone's written a book about this. I go, OK, what's not in that book? And they go, mm. I go that. mm. That's your book. Okay. So go write your book.
0: And that is what it means to unlock unlimited potential to get it after it. I appreciate that. You know, one thing we do on this show is we dedicate each show to people who are out there unlocking unlimited potential and all whom they serve and talk about, it. you have two people you want to dedicate this show to.
1: I do. The first one is to my wife, Susie Francis, who's a first grade teacher at sunset Canyon elementary school in the Paradise Valley Unified School District. She is amazing because as a first grade teacher, the majority of the kids in her class, they learn to read, they learn to write, and they learn how to do the math. Those kids learn something. I saw her do such amazing things during that pandemic with first graders on the screen. Like one of the things I saw her do is that she'd teach and she'd get the kids. And you know, the kids, I mean, they, they were like monitoring themselves to be on there. And then she go, okay guys, you got five minutes. And the kids would run off and go, this is my dog. This is my house. This is my mom. This is, you know, like giving that time, like understanding the pedagogy of it. So that's the one person I want to dedicate it to because she's an amazing first grade teacher. The other one I want to dedicate to is uh, my buddy, Gary Horowitz, who's a history social studies teacher at uh, Goldwater High School, Barry Goldwater High School, in the Deer Valley Unified School District out here in Phoenix. That guy really knows how to make history Accessible and and real for the kids, but the other thing is he is able to make such strong connections with those kids. I mean, those kids really feel that Mr. Horowitz cares about him, them, and you know he he has lasting relationships with them, and he makes that he gets them to care about not only history but current events. And he's a so these are two phenomenal teachers. My wife, who's a phenomenal first grade teacher, Susie Francis. And my buddy, Gary Horowitz, who is a history teacher at the um, Goldwater High School in the Deer Valley Unified School District.
0: Shout out to Susie and Gary. Keep rocking it. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep unlocking unlimited potential in all whom you serve. Oh, this has been an awesome, an awesome time connecting with you. I've, I I knew we would go over just because I, <laughs> I know that you have a, an extreme depth of knowledge that we have to talk about. So... And you just, you're, the one thing that I love about when you, when you speak is the, the simplified examples, like as you start to use the examples, I just remember like one example here, you want another example, here's another example, here's another example. And it was just like with each example and you even, I, you even related it to Marvel movies, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. So oh, yeah. it, it it hit me on all levels. So in addition, you walk your talk, right? Your, your presentations are, are, are using depth of knowledge on educators. Thank I you. I appreciate was pretty
1: that. cool. You know, it's so, funny because I, I like to say presenting, it's a spectrum. On one end is a professor and on, on the other end is the pro wrestler. And you got to find your middle ground. So like I like to say, I can quote the research like Robert Marzano, but I can also lay the smack down like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You got to figure out that middle ground. I think that's that's really the thing, you know, the secret of it. So thank you for saying that. That really makes me feel... Like I'm doing some good out there that that you walk away with that feeling.
0: Yeah, you absolutely are. And for anybody who's looking to connect further to check out that book, all of that information will be in the show notes. And so I really appreciate you for joining me on this. Man, my notes are incredible. I can't wait to share a picture with that on every with for everybody because I have so many great quotes and so many great things that you talked about. But most importantly, we really diving into not only deconstructing depth of knowledge, but also deconstructing the story behind your journey into depth of knowledge and all the amazing work you're doing. So I appreciate you for coming on and showing and sharing with
1: us. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad we got to do this. And I'm glad also this too, because this we've established like a friendship. So I'm looking forward to us talking further.
0: Yes, absolutely. And to everybody out there, I hope that you enjoyed this show. I hope that you get the chance to share. I hope you get the chance to send it on to somebody who, is out there who needs it because this show was jammed full of awesome information. And to anybody who has not signed up for the Something For You newsletter from BrandonBeck.com, BrandonBeckEDU.com, why haven't you? Because it's absolutely free. First and 15th of every month, jump on that. Helpful tips and tricks and anything you need just to keep you going. I want to reflect alongside you and I want to provide tools to help you continue to unlock unlimited potential in all whom you serve. I really appreciate everybody be, for being out here and for all of you out there. The journey towards unlocking unlimited potential, it begins with you. I hope that you all have an amazing day. Eric, best of luck to you and everything. And thank you for inspiring us all to keep going. Thank you.